Hello and welcome. I am Capri and this is Inner Source Alchemy Podcast. Themes you can expect on this podcast are honesty about myself and my life, women's health, living in harmony with the seasons, unique frameworks for self-development, feminine wisdom, motherhood, and basically BS-free holistic living. I consider myself an elder millennial, which I think was coined by a comedian named Liza Schlesinger. I have a background in business, psychology, Taoist healing arts, acupuncture, yoga, and most importantly, the endless pursuit of deciphering and following the beat of my own drum. I wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction today in case you're new here. My featured guest is Emily Saldea. I titled this episode, Emily Saldea, A Revolutionary Feminist of Our Time. Since I became aware of her, she has enriched my life through opening my eyes to a bigger spectrum of feminism and what it really means. Revolutionary to me means someone that can awaken and make conscious concepts and ideas in other people. And that's what she does. She has a unique and powerful way of reaching far and wide and holding deep space for new ideas to be born and understood. One of the reasons I wanted to have her on the podcast was to learn more about her, the woman behind her missions, and how she handles her position in this life at this time. Also, I just wanted to introduce you to her and her multifaceted business, especially if you're unfamiliar with her. As much as her work has brought so much good and has been so eye-opening for so many women in positive ways, it's also caused controversy and, back- and backlash. She expressed to me off recording that one of her mentors and friends told her something like, if you get death threats, that means you're doing something revolutionary. And she has received death threats, which is crazy and it's unfair. And I want that to be known before I jump into this podcast. We don't really get into any of the reasons for that here, but just know that she really puts herself on the line in many ways in the name of women. And that's not always received well, and people find it very threatening. You'll see here through listening to her in this podcast, and if you go any deeper than this, that she's a heartfelt and compassionate person. I support her work and find her to be super inspirational as an entrepreneur and leader. I'm going to read her bio here just to give you a little bit more background, and then I'll get on with it. Emily Saldea is the trailblazing leader and founder of Free Birth Society. She was a doula for over 10 years until the reality of her complicity, 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 yeah, got it, with the obstetric system, words I don't say often, and the harms that it does to women and babies prompted her to find a better way. In aligning with free birth, Emily's dharmic path became clear. She quickly evolved into a radical birth keeper who serves women birthing outside of the system. She founded Free Birth Society prior to the conscious conception of her first child and went on to give birth to her daughter freely on Maui, Hawaii. Emily's acclaimed podcast, the Free Birth Society podcast, quickly became a fan favorite and has reached millions of people. The Free Birth Society private membership has become a bastion. Oh no, another word I don't know. Well, I knew the other one, so this one I have no idea. But B-A-S-T-I-O-N of birth freedom. 
truth and community in a world which women's birth choices are increasingly curtailed. Emily is an inspiring and inspired coach with the ability to immediately hone in on the self-sabotage and mental blocks that keep women stuck in unproductive patterns. Her approach is warm, kind, ferocious, and transformational, giving her clients the spacious witnessing that allows them to step into their power. Emily lives in Colorado and frequently travels internationally as a speaker, coach, and leader. One more thing before this conversation begins. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I am pretty transparent here about my process in life and as it relates even to this podcast. I really don't mean to be self-deprecating because to me it truly is a learning all a learning experience and practice. But in this interview, I was very off. I'm recording this edit I'm recording this right now after editing the conversation, which was very necessary, the editing that is. A couple so here's my take. A couple of hours after I had this this meeting with Emily, I came down with a fever and was really sick for a couple of days. And there was that on top of the fact that it's all unplanned, the conversation, you know, it's new to me. But upon listening back to it, I see how disconnected I felt. And honestly, Emily was so captivating of a storyteller and speaker, I really got lost in listening to her. Um, And with that said, you won't hear me speak a whole lot in this podcast conversation. My responses are extra short, mostly because I deleted a lot of my own verbal content um, because it was just a mess and not even relevant. And this was all in the name of better listening experience for you. But if you notice a strange transition in our conversation, conversation, that is why. Okay, so let's jump into the life of Emily Saldea. When you grew up. You know, I started my life, my independent life so early at 16 that it was such a, there was such a short gap of when I started asking myself those questions to when I actually became it. So in my earlier years, prior to my injury at 15, uh, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. That was my first like love and passion. And I went to a very uh, kind of well-known school for soccer and was ready to be placed uh, in a in in college for soccer and I was also learning Mandarin and so in my earlier years of high school the first two years that I completed I was at a boarding school that had me on varsity and I was being groomed for professional soccer for and well to go next into college so I was actually in route to spend my junior year abroad in Shanghai where I was going to continue my, my learning of Mandarin and be on a really big woman's uh, soccer team. And unfortunately, it's a long story, but the short version is, well, not unfortunately, everything happens, um, you know, for me. And so I actually tore my ACL quite severely and was unable to walk and I needed pretty serious surgery the day I turned 16 actually is when I, when I got that surgery. And so it completely obliterated my soccer plans. I had to, I was on crutches for nine months. I had to relearn how to walk my, the muscles in my leg had atrophied. It was quite a a crazy time in my life. Um, 
like I was literally one of those people relearning how to walk on the bars in, in PT. So that totally obliterated the soccer idea. And I fell in love with a boy who was back in Florida. I was at boarding school in New Jersey and I fell in love with a boy who I actually had known since I was 11 or 12. And it was a no brainer that because soccer was done for, for me at that time, I was going to come home and attempt to attend public school, which would have been my first time doing that. And, uh, yeah, we hardly ever went and we got straight A's and it was all a giant joke really. And we both got jobs at Panera bread and we saved up $2,000, which felt like all the money in the world when we were 16. And we very promptly withdrew from high school and, took our $2,000 and drove our 1992 Chevy Blazer out to LA and just finagled the system so that we could get an apartment, which was completely illegal. And uh, we both got jobs, also not totally legal. Um, and and my, my life began. So the night before we left, when we told our parents we were withdrawing, we were dropping out and, and heading out, my mom made the request that I just had a plan, which was totally fair. And so I thought all night about what mattered. And uh, I just kept coming back to the mother baby dyad. I just kept coming back to the violence. And I was starting to learn about sex trafficking and female oppression and um, specifically about girls my age globally. And I just kind of kept coming back to this really basic concept, but yet, you know, the seed of, of everything that, that can heal the planet, which is what would it look like if we refocused our attention on girls, on women, and specifically on mothers? What would that look like for their offspring, thus, you know, our culture, our community, our species? And I just knew there was something in that, and I didn't have enough education or language for it yet. So I kept kind of coming back to this idea of baby massage. And I was like, well, touch is really important. And I know that babies can die without touch. And so there's something in touch that I, I want to learn about. And then, of course, babies are everything. And so I kept coming back to this idea of baby massage and I Googled it. And it turned out that there was actually a thing that was infant massage and it was a certification and you could teach it to parents. So that was my input. That was my, that was my like little end. So I got to L.A. and I took a training and started volunteering with, with uh, babies who had special needs and um, babies who were, were in hospice actually and um, started volunteering in medical environments and then also going to parents' homes when they were um, able to bring their four months, they were typically four month old children after having open heart surgery. So I kind of, it just kind of happened really quickly where I was in this world and learning about um, the, the power and the healing of what happens when a mother feels uh, supported to be in communication with her baby. I very quickly came to witness the power of mother baby and particularly seeing babies whose mothers were, or rather mothers whose babies were already so deeply interwoven into the medical model because they were born with complications or like I said, were, were already uh, labeled, you know, for hospice care and were not, were not likely to survive. Um, you know, these babies actually didn't get a lot of touch and they didn't get a lot of time with their mothers. 
And so that I was able to witness what could happen in those environments when women did get time with their babies. Um, and and not, not that they were always the outcomes of survival, but the outcomes of bonding and the way that the mothers were able to integrate the loss of their child with this model of infant massage and having all this time to be with their babies physically and in, in a, in a language of love and support and, and communicating with their babies, both through touch and of course their voices um, amidst you know, the worst time of their lives, um, the way they were able to integrate it and process it was absolutely mind bending for me. I had never really experienced or witnessed anything quite so profoundly impactful. So I guess I came to LA not really knowing, but having this seed of something to do with mother baby. And then as I called it in and just dove in, it very quickly um, from 16 to 19 got very clear. And then around 18, 19, I started to be um, invited to births. So, you know, it's all a big evolution. But once I started witnessing births, for better or worse, witnessing them, you know, in the home or witnessing them, you know, through the gnarly, gnarly abusive process of an induction into a bullied C-section, that was really when stuff started to spark for me that there was something here enormously uh, unspoken and, and enormously unacceptable. And so, so that really, in my early 20s, what started my uh, understanding of feminism and the importance of it. And, and yeah, it took a, it took a long time for me to sort all this out because I was very alone in the process of what I was witnessing. I was in a doula community that completely normalized, um, what we were all seeing and even celebrated it. Um, and there was this real Stockholm syndrome kind of happening. So it took me a long time, a lot longer than I hope the women who are finding free birth society now that it will take them to hopefully learn and and expedite the process of wrapping our heads around this. Yeah. I can say as a, someone that found free birth society, well, first of all, it's a huge redirection from being a soccer player. Um, (laughs) But just a bit, but that was like what I wanted to be when I was like eight. (laughs) Right. It sounds like you like really stay the course, whatever the path is. Yeah very clear and direct mm-hmm. um so you had a lot of fun doing soccer then you got shit got real it sounds like shit got real yeah um yeah I had found free birth society as I've talked about in this podcast I don't need to get into that necessarily but I was gonna have a free birth and I had seen free birth society um on Facebook years ago after my first baby which was like three years ago I had seen that it existed and I was like, that's interesting because I had an unintentional, um, free birth and <gasps> really, yeah, I didn't know that I didn't show up in time. And I was just like, Oh, well this, this was great. And so when I wanted to have my, or when I was having my next baby, I was like free birth society, like, let me find them. And you were no longer on Facebook. And I didn't know you per se. I just knew like free birth society. And, um, and then I found, you know, your website it wasn't hard to find it after, <laughs> after that. And, um, and so then I was quickly like brought into the community. I met you briefly. You had a meeting with me and that's how you, you do that with everyone that's going to be involved with free birth society, which I think is great. Um, 
and it really did speed up that process for me. I was like 16 weeks pregnant, 15 weeks pregnant. And I was just like, I, I had access to all of a sudden, all these women and birth workers and people that had done it themselves. And I just mm-hmm. was like, boom, I'm sure of this. And yeah. it happened. It was like, it, it just the fact that that's there is so amazing. And you literally, I mean, there wasn't anything in place like that before free birth society, obviously. Yeah, no. And it's, it's such a unique space online because there's this, there's a layer of integrity to it because of the vetting. And, you know, I get a lot of shit in, in the public sphere around air quotes, if you can't see me daring to charge an application fee of $108, uh, you know, which is $9 a month. Yeah. And, and it's an application fee, but the vetting, you know, every part of the vetting very much, including the fee is very intentional to keeping us safe and to keeping it in exclusive space. And it's interesting because in today's neoliberal, you know, North American, you know, culture, uh, the, even the word exclusive is like so bad and so polarizing. And uh, yeah, not for me. I think having women only exclusive spaces, uh, I, I know this to be true, is, is, is so imperative and it creates a much, much, much needed safety uh, that, that is, well, I, I will just say from where I sit, is not happening anywhere else on the internet. So, you know, Facebook groups don't have vetting, you know, and if they do, it's pretty, pretty minimal. It's very easy to have sock accounts and get into anywhere on Facebook. And so, yeah, it was a real hard time of why, you know, I got harassed off Facebook and it was really quite the initiation into this work and into, into, you know, kind of being the face of this stuff. But, but it was also at this point, it's so easy to see how it was for me and for our community because it did push me to create what is the most epic space online I've ever, I've ever seen, you know, it's, it's so beautiful. And it's like, I was going to say, it has this layer of integrity to it that you don't see anywhere else because it, people, women are coming there to feel a sense of community and uh, yes, it's global. And so not a lot of people know each other, uh, offline but that is happening more and more and we have annual retreats and we have circles you know around the world wherever there are multiple you know like a concentrated number of members and and the calls that we do you know we hold counsel in the space so often and we circle around different topics and that has increased the intimacy you know as you know just so much and it's you know it's like what are we going to do it doesn't exist until we create it and i love thinking about it as a virtual fire circle and i'm very proud of the the undramatic and and deeply supportive environment that we've all co-created together um, yeah and it just it's so different because of the vetting because everyone signs a non-disclosure agreement because everyone's interviewed and and all you know going through the process there is this it eradicates the voyeurs and the trolls and it really brings everyone um, into it in this, in this sense of, of honor and respect and reverence for each other and, and taking responsibility for ourselves. And when we do that, there's nothing we can't talk about, you know, and I get a lot of shit for, for, you know, people say that it's an echo chamber, echo chamber, people who are outside of it. And, and actually, if you were inside it, you would know it's absolutely not. We have debates, we have disagreements, we have um, absolutely differing opinions on tons of stuff. Like, yes, everyone supports free birth, duh, but there's a lot more going on to womanhood in our lives than just that. And it's so cool and inspiring to me to witness 
<laughs> you know, like, duh, what would be happening offline if we were all sitting in circle? We would be communicating in respect. We would be listening to each other. We'd be trying on new perspectives and that we're able to recreate that in a virtual space through this private network because it's an exclusive space, because it's vetted, um, is just, it's just so, um, yeah, reassuring to me because I almost didn't do it. And, and I've been really grateful to see what, what's been co-created by all of us. Yeah. And it, it, and like, it's just individual women. It's not like everyone is at all the same. It's like, you know, just like in life, it's, that's something that stood out to me, I guess, is we have this common, like, like you said, like this integrity with the group, or the whole thing, but it's so many different types of women and beliefs and this and that. And there's this common thread, you as being like the person that oversees it, do you notice, um, obviously there's tons of differences between everyone, but is there like a common, what do you feel like is that everyone has in common in that group, if there is that thing? Well, I think everyone in the space identifies as a feminist. I think everyone in the space uh, is is there to explore, and they're all you know on different different stages of this path. But it it definitely seems very obvious that everyone is on their own journey to explore what it means to live a life of power in our womanhood, and and focusing on that intersection of birth. And so we have lots of women who haven't had children either yet or won't, um, who are there in you know the maiden phase. And a lot of them are birth workers who have been serving in the system and are uh, quite disenchanted with that. Um, and then we have some elders. We have women who are done having children who won't free birth, but who are um, very lit up by seeing other women, you know, take their power. And it's you know, yeah, I mean, the common denominator is feminism and wanting to feel a sense of community with free thinkers and with women who are exploring their own autonomy and authority in life. And so it is so cool how much bigger free birth society is, um, how it's growing and, and how it continues to expand in shape because it is rapidly becoming so much more than just about free birth. Free birth is one of the branches of the tree that is incredibly important, but, um, but also not the right choice for everybody. And that's wonderful. That's, that's of course not our angle, right? That everyone should be doing anything. Um, but it's just become one branch of a multifaceted tree that is all for women and, and in taking responsibility and what it means to live in power and, the reclamation of of all of these, um, you know, gorgeous elements of womanhood that has been so uh, robbed of us in patriarchy, and it's just so it's so cool to see how quickly it can happen too in the circle of women, in a supportive women, with everyone bringing their own wisdom and their own walks of life and their own perspectives, um, and being able to share that in a in a in a you know weaved environment of safety is what most women are missing. So that we've created it in a way that can be applicable to us all over the world is is quite revolutionary, honestly. You know, that that we have our village prenatals and 20 women from around the globe will be on a call speaking their their birth dreams into reality and you know, speaking out their fears to get burned, and that everyone is um, you know, sharing these different dreams around the world, but they're all to birth and freedom. I mean. I'm pretty sure that's not happening anywhere else. It's it's so beautiful. It truly. 
I know that Free Birth Society is like an entity of its own because there's so many people involved now. How long has it been in all, actually? So Free Birth Society as a company, I started that, let's see, yeah. like unofficially just as a platform uh, in the beginning of 2017 when I conceived my, my daughter and I launched the podcast. Actually, the first episode came out the day I conceived my daughter, which is crazy. Uh, kind of planned, but also you can only plan that so much. Yeah. Uh, and then within a year's time, it became, it, you know, kind of blew up. So I made it be a legal, actual company uh, because then we released the courses and, and everything kind of happened from there. So yeah, three years, the podcast has been like three and a half years and maybe as a like technical company, like three years or something. You were a doula before, right? Yeah. So this is my third or fourth company that I've started and run. Um, but yeah, all through when I lived in LA, all through my twenties, I owned a couple different companies that provided birth support within the system. And so I did that for a long time. And then I also was a, uh, I founded and ran a nonprofit in Los Angeles that provided support uh, for low-income women for birth support, but then also provided doula support for women having non-live birth outcomes. So uh, my nonprofit was the first uh, nonprofit allowed into the abortion clinics in Los Angeles, just not all of them, just a couple of them. And that was really incredible for women to be able to access support if they were coming in alone. Um, and then also women experiencing miscarriage and stillbirth. And then I and my team also trained full spectrum doulas. So that was a big focus for me uh, throughout my time in LA. And yeah, so I did a bunch of stuff before, all, all intersecting in the birth world. Um, also, I was a circus performer for nine years. And so I, I balance yeah. <laughs> in the oh, beginning, yeah, in my <laughs> early twenties. Uh, I, I started that around 19 or so, 19 years old. And then I did that for about nine years, but I, I was so deeply embedded in birth work so quickly. And thankfully my company was doing so well that I, I couldn't really tour. I, I was touring, but around the world, but it, you know, obviously you can't be on call and tour. So um, yeah, at some point I just was like, okay, it's time to go full commitment into what, what I'm growing here. And so I did. That is an amazing side note of, it's not even a side note. It's a big note. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it's, so, uh, it's so LA too, to be like birth worker by day, circus performer, blowing fire and dancing on stage by night. Yeah. But you got to have that, that uh, outlet. Um, <laughs> so your early mothering coincided with like the birth, like you said, like a literal conception date. And that's like, I mean, that's a lot. It's huge. But like, how do you manage that as far as like your, and I know there's going to be more this that we'll get into that comes up with what the work you're doing, but how do you, obviously, you know, you're still kind of new in the, the grand scheme of things. Your daughter is two, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She um, just turned two. And well, I will say that this was all very intentional and very thought out, which has allowed for a lot of grace in the transitions that, that we've made as a family and as a couple and, and as a business, you know, owner or whatever. Um, so when I, okay, the short overview is that when I was, when we started to feel ready to conceive our daughter, that coincided with me really needing to 
come to terms with how unethical um, my work in the system was starting to feel. And I've talked about this a lot on other podcasts, but, you know, just realizing that I couldn't ignore the fact that I really was receiving money on this lie that I was going to help increase agency for, for women birthing in the system. And then to go on and watch them be, you know, brutalized and, and, you know, all the, the horrific routine normalized, you know, violence that happens in the system and then returning home, just being like, Ugh, like what, what was that? And what was my place in that? And, you know, yeah, you can listen to other podcasts where I get deep into dual is having no power in the room and, and this lie of authority. But uh, anyway, so I started to come to terms with that. Also was coming to terms with uh, my my issues, my ethical issues with licensed midwifery because I had always assumed I'd become a midwife. And I had apprenticed under a midwife who was very medical for many years. And yeah, all of this kind of came together at a head at the same time where I was like, okay, what am I doing with my birth work? And what am I going to do with my pregnancy? And and, you know, the birth of, of my child who, you know, was, was floating around us quite, quite ready to come when we were ready to say yes. And so one thing I really love about birth work is that it isn't a compartmentalized aspect of our life. You know, it, it is me. Every, everything that I do is an integrated piece of my life. So I love that the inter, that the kind of crossroads I came to with my birth work was, was the same crossroads that I came to with how I was going to navigate my own life because it's all the same for me anyway. So basically I got clear guidance that I was not going to be able to hire a a midwife to assist me because of all of the rules and regulations and betrayal that happens, you know, when you, when you engage with a licensed midwife or what can happen, I should say. And knowing that I truly wanted a mother-led birth and I wanted, you know, I didn't want scans. I didn't want a Doppler, you know, listening to my baby. I didn't want um, to be diagnosed and and assessed and I didn't want a medical pregnancy. And so I basically just got real clarity on the fact that I needed to leave LA. I needed to spend some serious time in my body alone in nature with the animals, with the trees, just down-regulating and and moving you know all of the layers of secondary trauma that i had in my system um you know i had i had been witnessing trauma in birth for years hundreds and hundreds of births and just going about my life doing the best i could to process it and move forward into the next you know fucked up birth and so i knew i needed to clear that as much as i could in preparation for my daughter so my husband of course was totally down and he got a job um, in the woods in with his friends had started a farm and so we moved up to northern california and i was able to not work and he was making enough money for us and that was so beautiful because i had been working like a mad woman for so long i mean there were periods of time in my 20s where i was going to five to ten births a month and teaching and assisting you know a midwife and running a nonprofit, and that was fine. I did, you know, I, I, I kind of am like an energizer bunny. I have an enormous capacity, but, but still in the preparation of conception, I didn't want that to be my story. So yeah, I was able to do exactly what I needed. I slept a lot. I walked in the woods. I was quiet. I would go places without my phone. I didn't work. I didn't attend birth. 
And I just spent a lot of time thinking and being and what did I want to create and what did I want my pregnancy to look like and and how did I want my body to be and feel before I invited in this soul and what what needed to be tended to in my marriage. And it was just so spacious. It was really awesome. It's one of, it's pretty much the best decision I've ever made to take that time in my life so seriously. Uh, which again is a complete expression of everything I had learned to be true, which is, you know, the, the rite of passage into motherhood uh, can really make or break us. And if we walk into it with reverence and with support and with, you know, spaciousness and, and with, and when I say support, I mean real support um, and, and, you know, doing the work, then it can be just so epically, powerfully transformational um, or it can really annihilate you and it can stretch you to really dangerous and dark areas too, which I also totally understand, um, you know, in, in lieu of support, spaciousness and all of that. So moved up to the woods and just got to my own inner work. And that was amazing. And just, yeah, it was so beautiful. And then spent a couple months just playing with what it would feel like to get our bodies in, in the best environment possible and so we did some really fun cleanses and we you know made a lot of love and we spent a lot of time being quiet together and um, when in in that time I knew I wanted to go to India one more time before my child came because I didn't anticipate going back there for some time once I became a mother and so I I did that and and one of my best friends met me there and and India is a very special place to me as it is for for so many people and I lived there when I was 19 and um, it really it's a it really has a lot to teach us me so I went back there felt kind of like a final maiden yeah like yantra to to return to a place that had taught me so much you know 10 10 plus years prior knowing that it was on this precipice of, of entering into this new rite of passage. And so when I was there, I did a lot of wondering of what was going to be my future with birth work. And it all just kind of came into view. And I had an incredible trip. And uh, I came back with clarity that I was going to free birth my child and have a wild pregnancy and that I would um, invite the virtual world into that process as I started a platform that kind of at its core was really tracking my own learning and my own experience. Excuse me. But by doing so as a natural networker, I was going to have people on this podcast to discuss their own birthing and power stories and what led them to free birth. Because on the one hand, selfishly, I wanted to be inundated with uh, beautiful stories of course. And then, you know, as a, as an easy access, you know, offering to the world that anyone who wanted these stories, um, no one that I could find had really networked these stories with the boundaries of only these stories. And that's another thing, interestingly, that I get a lot of shit for, uh, that I don't, that I don't have positive hospital births on the, on the podcast or that I don't, you know, I'm having, doing the surrogacy series right now and, and I'm getting so much, uh, feedback about, you know, how dare you not have a positive surrogate story, you know, and it's only to fit my own narrative. And it's like, well, yeah, of course it is. This is my platform. I'm doing what I want to put into the world. Go do what you want over there. So, um, I was very clear on 
even the, the risk of creating, carving out a space that did have boundaries because a lot of birth podcasts, actually all of them that I had followed, uh, didn't have boundaries. They had all the stories, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That just wasn't what I wanted to do. So it all just kind of came into view and came into alignment as I returned home from India and we started the beginning of the year, uh, yeah, just getting ready to call our daughter in and I knew it was her and I'd always known it was her that she'd be coming first and I had spent so much time with her in plant medicine ceremonies and in meditation and in, um, I just really felt her presence for a super long time. So it was, it was her that we chanted to and that we prayed to and that we lit a candle for in our conception, you know, time. And it was her that came. So it it really, yeah. So it was really all integrated, you know, that I remember coming home from, from India and I had gone to Indonesia as well and coming home and laying on the couch with Johnny and saying, this was January and the podcast got launched in May and also when I conceived and saying to him, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to start this company. I think I'm going to call it Free Birth Society because it kind of has this like double meaning. And I also, side note, really don't like naming things. It's not one of my geniuses. (laughs) And so I I was like, I don't know if this is a good name or not, but I'm going to call it Free Birth Society and I'm going to start a podcast and I'll start a Facebook group if anyone listens to the podcast and we'll just see what networking happens. And then if anyone thinks what I'm doing is cool, then I've created a virtual platform where I can offer all my wisdom and you know all my experience and turn it into courses. And then what's so fun about this idea turning virtual is there's no ceiling. You know, there's it, there's um, there's literally infinite possibilities of where that can go. And that was kind of as far as I had gotten with it. Was I just wanted to? I was already doing online coaching. Um, which I had been doing for years and I had already attended uh, births without medical management. I don't call them free births because by my being there, I don't think it's a free birth. Um, but I had already, you know, been, been witnessing births without medical providers and it just felt really obvious that this was going to all kind of come together. And so you asked how I've been handling it all, but I, I guess I gave you a lot of details of how that all came to be. But basically, because it was so planned, but not in a weird right. manic way, just a like, okay, this is all kind of, I can see the path. And because we had the blessing of my partner, you know, having a, a, a job that was able to pay for us in this time, and we were living in a small town where it was quite quite inexpensive to live compared to LA. And so it was really wonderful. It just all happened really easily. And then of course I got pregnant, uh, quite, quite simply. And, and I just, everything just, yeah, I don't know. The pregnancy was amazing and, and wonderful and challenging. And then, um, there definitely was a component of course, when I, uh, went to Hawaii to birth the baby, which had also been a longstanding dream of mine, my father lives there. And, and when I was 12, the first time I, I visited him after him having moved there away from Florida where we grew up, I got the story goes in my family that I got off the plane and I looked around and I looked at my dad and I said, my child will be born here. <laughs> and it just, I remember being really young and walking the beaches and being like, this land is so healing. There's so much here that makes so much sense for 
mother baby and for healing. And it's more than just duh, it's a paradise island. It's more than that. It's a, it's a very special place. And I've spent a lot of time there. And um, yeah, so that was always in my dream. Like if I could manifest it and if it could work in whatever was going on in our lives, I'd love to go spend, you know, four to six months and birth my baby there and recover there and figure out nursing there and be able to be in the magic of that island um, while I was, you know, really figuring out how to walk through this rite of passage as best as I could. So we were able to create that. And it was, again, it was a multi-year plan for us to pull that off. Um, but it was a priority. And so we did, and we spent four months there and I had a, a very epic birth that you can listen to on my podcast. Um, not without its deep challenges, of course. And that was weird to have already put it publicly that I was going to free birth because it did carry some layer of more weight for me. Um, you know, before and after more so like during birth, I didn't really think about it. It was, I was in my birthing process. So I wasn't thinking about like the following I had created or my podcast or anything. Uh, but I did transfer to the hospital as you might know. And, and, you know, I also transferred myself back home. But in that time, I remember Johnny, when we grabbed some stuff for the hospital in case we were going to stay, uh, Johnny grabbed the, a free birth society shirt that he had. And I remember, I, was, I mean, I was in transition and didn't know it. And I will never forget looking at him and he threw the shirt in the bag and I went, don't you dare bring that. And, and I just was so broken. I was so heartbroken that I had really thought I could do it. And and then was also making the choice to um, go ask, you know, to be assessed because I, I, which, yeah, which is a whole nother conversation of, you know, I had a wonderful team there, but um, what I could have really used was the wise woman to really look in my eyes and say, sweetheart, this is just transition. You know, you're, you're okay. It's okay that you don't know which way is up. It's okay that you're totally disoriented. That's actually this stage. And, um, and, you know, I just, I didn't have that as so many women, um, free birthing don't have. So, and again, you actually wouldn't have, you wouldn't have a free birth if you did have that person that would actually just be called authentic midwifery, which, you know, is hard to find Um, (laughs) anyway, but you know, for just for anyone wondering, I did, I did come back. I got assessed. I I wanted a vaginal exam and, and I think some reassurance and I got it and I came back home and had my baby. Um, yeah. So the real work of mothering and, and navigating this space has actually happened in the last year because I don't know, newborns are pretty chill and, and I had Johnny around. Oh, that's another piece to this is Johnny didn't, when he left that job, when we went to Hawaii, we had saved enough and figured out how to do this, that he actually didn't need to work again for six months postpartum. So I had him home and fully present for six months at the start of my mothering, which every woman of course needs and, and would benefit from. And I had a pretty serious neck injury that happened to me five weeks postpartum. And I had two herniated discs in my, um, in my cervical spine. And so I was quite impaired for about seven months of the first year of, of being a mom. I couldn't wear my baby. I couldn't, um, I couldn't get her in and out of the car. There were days where I couldn't even hold her to nurse her. I'd have to just lay and Johnny would put her on me. It was really, really rough. And so 
thank God Johnny was around for that because we don't really have super available people here where we moved. And, um, yeah, he really was able to, to be the, the family and the, the extra arm that of course every mom needs. Um, yeah, that's, that is great that he was, and I just, I'm so reassured by your life path and just how you really, there's so much spirit that moves you and you really give it the like, I mean, that's possible for everyone, I think, but you really give it the credit and the time and the attention in like that period before your baby was born, even though like you, you called yourself a whatever bunny, you know, you still decided to like get, get still and get quiet. Yeah. That's so probably huge for so many people, but I know that doesn't happen enough. Well, and I think something that I was so blessed to get exposed to was because I had been serving mothers for 10 plus years. I had no illusion of how hard it is to have a baby. You know, I didn't romanticize it really at all. Like I knew I wanted it and that it would be lovely, but I also had been serving mothers for over 10 years. So, and I had watched hundreds of women walk through the the portal into motherhood and, and navigate it, you know, to the best of their ability in, in all different circumstances, you know, billionaires to people below the poverty line to people, you know, single mothers to people that actually lived in community. I mean, I really got to see it all. And so I had no illusions of what was going to be asked of me and my energy. And um, not that I knew exactly how it would be, but because of that, I, I was very practical and reverent about, about, yeah, just setting myself up as best as I could. Cause I felt like if I had learned anything, it would be such a disservice to myself and my child and my family to not take it as seriously as if I, because I could, I had the gift of this was my first baby. I had all this information. I had all this experience. Um, and so why not create the best dream possible? You know? Totally. Um, you, you've said that birth, we birth how we live. Um, and just cause I have a feeling people, some people listening to this, just like language around the birth, it's going to be the first time they hear it. Maybe outside of me talking about my free birth and I didn't even have that language really, um, of like the institutionalized stuff and everything. I don't want to get into that because it's huge. It's a huge topic, obviously. You can listen to Free Worth Society if you want to get into that podcast. But um, so we birth how we live. How can you sum up that in like a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a famous line, you die how you live. And so that might, one of my best friends is a hospice nurse. And we've talked about that a lot because she's on the the holding space for the portal, you know, of, of death. And then I've been on the space of holding for the portal into life and sometimes death actually. And so that's something we just always used to talk about of, yeah, you die, how you, how you live and you also birth how you live. So what, what I mean when I, when I think about that is, uh, well, it's also, you live how you live. Like it's, it's not a compartmentalized, uh, experience, you know, none of it is you, 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 we we're, we're taught to act like birth is and that you just follow the instructions and let an authority tell you what to do. And, and this for the vast majority of, of women, um, they have been taught to believe that a stranger 
you know, in a white coat or scrubs actually knows more about the wellness and the, the information of the baby inside of her. And so, you know, believing that, um, and, and I need to back up to say, you know, all of this stuff is a continuum of everything that came before. So the way that we were born, you know, with, from our mothers sets a story at our back. And then the way that for us females, the way we were initiated into our first blood mystery, you know, how that was uh, held or not held, how that was shamed or not shamed, how that was celebrated or silenced that creates a huge marker for us of how to be so that society, our community accepts us. And so all of these are precursors, our initiation into sex, you know, more, unfortunately, you know, more women than I can count have, have told me their stories of their initiation into sex. And, um, and so often, you know, they are through rape. And so that's a very huge initiation into, um, what we're teaching girls of how to be. So all of that is a continuum, you know, on then that leads us into how we birth. So when I say we birth how we live, it's not a jab at somebody who wound up with an unexpected or unwanted C-section. That's, that's, you know, it's, it's not a personal comment. It, it's really just to explore from this lens of co-creation, you know, from this idea of taking responsibility for our hundred percent, you know, that we're putting into the world and, and into our own lives um, from a lens of co-creation, what are we doing to co-create the results? You know, one of my mentors says, you can look at what someone's, you can find out what someone's committed to by looking at the results in their life. And that helps me a lot. It helps me not be delusional about people in my life. It's like, okay, if I'm over here saying, uh, I really want to work out, but I haven't worked out in a year. The truth is, because this is actually true for me, because I have totally stopped exercising because I have this, you know, story that I'm so busy. And so the truth is that I'm committed to not exercising because the result is I don't exercise. Right. So it, it takes away the lies that we tell ourselves and each other. Um, and so, for example, with birth, you know, you, somebody, the result might be, let's say, uh, what they felt was an unwanted C section, but the commitment was to do whatever their doctor said. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. There's no right or wrong or good or bad. It's just truthful. And so, yeah, it opens up the whole idea of you birth how you live, you die how you live, really opens up an exploration to my mind about what does it mean to look at our life from a co-creative standpoint where we can take responsibility um, for the commitments that we have. Because when we do that, we can also say, well, do I want to change the commitment? You know, there's so much power for me to acknowledge to you to say, I'm actually committed to not exercising. How truthful of me. Do I like saying that, you know, in a podcast that's going to go public? No. But is it the truth? Yes. And so if I want to co-create a different outcome there or a different commitment, I can at any time. But we have to start with the truth. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, I just love your clarity and your, it's, it's not, it's not a bullshit. It's just clear and everything makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and with that, you know, you have this strong clarity and internal wisdom and 
guidance system that, you know, who knows where that even really comes from is we don't know all these things, but you, you know, as I've been introduced to you and what you've been doing in the world over the last, I don't know, like nine months or something. Um, I'm just like, whoa, I mean, you've opened up my mind with how you word things and how, and just topics you discuss and same with other people in free birth society, as we mentioned. Um, and so when I was thinking about this podcast, I'm like, she's so revolutionary. Like you're a very revolutionary person and you, um, in my mind, as far as like a feminist and a woman and, um, and I'm honored that you're here on this podcast. Thank you. Mm, thank you. And, you know, I know that comes with, and of course there's something like a hot topic right now, as you may or may not get into, but that comes with, that's a territory that you have to walk. Um, and how do you, I guess like you'll have an impulse probably to speak on something or, you know, you move through your, your spirit moves you or whatever. Um, how do you know when it's something that you like want to move forward with? I, maybe this is too big of a topic really, but um, I think I know where you're going and I'll, okay. I'll just quickly okay. offer that whenever it becomes clear to me that society wants me to shut up, that's a good flag that it needs to be discussed. So, you know, I have so many thoughts and opinions and, and, and whatever experiences that seem so normal and so obvious. And then when I, when it's revealed to me how um, totally radical the notion is of, let's say, um, that I would like to see a world, I would like my daughter to grow up in a world where women and girls aren't for sale. I would love to see that. Um, and how annihilated those opinions get when they uh, are brought into the public sphere and how fiercely protective women are of patriarchy and of our own oppression, it's really taught me a lot. And so, um, you know, it's definitely a fine line of, what what's the point and that's been a big beautiful evolution for me of of sharing stuff without an agenda just sharing stuff um that feels in alignment with what i what is true for me and not really being very attached to how it comes back because it's going to come back in a million different ways and it comes back pretty scary sometimes and it comes back super beautiful and of course many women are getting um, very awakened to stuff that I share on the podcast or stuff that other women come on and share. But I don't feel very attached to any of this. It, it, and that feels really easeful for me to the shift consciously for me in my consciousness that has been made since I left serving women in the system um, is it is in alignment with the tools that I've been learning from my mentor that I talk about somewhat in my, in my podcast. Um, which is really shifting from this to me consciousness to a by me and through me consciousness. And so when I move away from this hero position of wanting to save women, wanting to um, self-sacrifice, wanting, uh, wanting to do work in the world that gets validated and acknowledged and wanting to change people, I've really put that down. Not to say it doesn't flare up from time to time, of course it does, but um, but really as a, as a consciousness shift in my work, now it's much more about, 
I'm doing this over here that feels good to me. And if you want to come hang out over here in this space, please do so. <laughs> you know, it feels really relaxed and open and just this is, I'm, I'm off putting what is in alignment for me and um, take it if you want it, you know, come play in it if you want it. And so that has helped me create a very healthy um, boundary in the, ver in the public spaces where I exist um, and not take stuff personal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you, you really, it, it come, I know I'm sure there's struggles obviously with that, but like you said, there's flare ups, but um, the channel that you're kind of, you kind of are, it sounds like you're really becoming a channel. Um, and that's, that's really good advice for, I think a lot of people. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's not to undermine the intensity of standing in the fire. Um, you know, like I said, off, off when we were not recording, you know, I receive death threats. I receive rape threats. I've received, um, threats against my child. I've seen groups, troll groups online trying to find where I live, um, saying horrific, very scary stuff. Um, and I don't take that lightly. That's not like, a, oh yeah, it's totally not about me. Like that I've, right. I, I, it's, it's complicated to, to explain, but I will say that I would be lying if I didn't say that that also didn't fuel me to some degree because it is highlighting how oppressed the female voice is, you know, and the, and the woman, the dissenting woman. And so I've gotten some big initiations into, you know, the way of the witch and, and, and the witch word is really interesting because obviously historically it, it, it's so complex and yet there's this attempt of a reclamation of that word today, but it's largely smoke and mirrors, you know, it's, it's, in, in, in my opinion, unless you're like truly dissenting um, and standing in the fire that that brings, um, then it's just like a pretty trendy word, you know? And, and I was one of those people. I always identified with the word, but until I, you know, was unfortunately threatened for four months and annihilated, uh, you know, that was a really whole nother, yeah, it was a whole nother layer because I could really feel, and that's not to say that that has to happen to you to right. identify with that word. Of right. course, that's not what I'm trying right. to say, but it brought another layer of realness and seriousness and that, you know, the women who have gone before me and many women around the world who dissent um, actually do have their lives taken and actually do have horrific things happen to them. And so um, it's not a small thing. You know, women go to jail for supporting women in, in birth. Women are murdered around the world still today. Um, really, you know, women are tortured and brutalized around the world. So I feel like I'm in a unique position of my privilege of being a white North American, you know, fairly protected woman um, to use my voice for the women that can't. And or won't because I get it. I get the safety in staying silent. Um, but yeah, like, like you said earlier, I don't exactly know what or why there's such a deep clarity for me. Um, but really I will say back to when I was younger, learning about the, uh, the female oppression around the world, learning about global oppression 
really helped me get clear. And so for anyone listening, you know, I, I started with the book Half the Sky, which is by a, a married couple um, who are journalists who it's an incredible book. Have you read that book? No. I wouldn't read it immediate postpartum because it's quite heavy. Um, and there's also a documentary series associated to it that's also incredible. But the book is really, really, really potent and and it's a lot to digest. I couldn't read it publicly because it it was just so whew, so much to take in. Um, but a really important book nonetheless to understand at least the beginning ABCs of the oppression of girls and women around the world because as North Americans, it can be hard to really understand what that means. And it's not just about the pay gap. It's not it's not about um you know, that we're less likely to get hired in, in positions of leadership, which is a, a, an enormous deal. But there's also what's happening to our sisters globally that needs to be understood, I feel, to even actually begin the conversation of why being radical and using your voice is, is an actual responsibility for the women who have the safety and privilege to do it, that there's a discharge um, that we must you know, offer to, to our sisters. The responsibility word that, you know, when you do have the privilege, uh, it's a lot. To, like, yeah. Face. yeah. And, and a lot of this has been integrating and allowing for my own anger, which has been really, really healthy and healing that I'm, I allow myself to rage. And it doesn't ruin my day and it doesn't mean anything, um, but really allowing myself to fully express my emotions has also been quite revolutionary for me to be able to have the capacity to do this work every day. And I mean, in, in any given day, I'm doing sessions with women who are dealing with some of the most sad, horrific stories that I've ever heard. Um, in North America or in, in a developed world, um, you know, the kind of abuse and trauma and rape and, and, oh, just really intense, horrific stuff. Cause it's way beyond just birth trauma that I'm supporting now or serving women in. So being able to hold all of that and also not hold it and, and just come into alignment with reality, which doesn't mean I accept that it's okay. You know, I have plenty of, um, I take plenty of issue, of course, but really trying to learn how to be an activist and in my truth in this way that is uh, of service to the paradigm I want to see without feeling swallowed up by it. And so being in action has has given me that that path. You know, I know so many women that some of my very best friends that really suffer from white guilt or developed world guilt and, you know, will go into a hot shower and feel so bad that they have hot water. And, but I don't see that motivating them to do anything, you know, to discharge that responsibility. So, I mean, that's everyone's path to walk. Of course, it's not really a critique of them. It's just an observation that for me, um, because I am so committed to my work and I have found the the avenues for it. Um, I feel very alive, even in my rage, you know, even in how gutted, you know, none of this has, I haven't gotten used to any of this um, with how, how, uh, 
how much, how many more stories I hold now because my brand has gone global and how much hate and just horrific stuff that people say to me regularly. Um, you know, my, my, my consciousness and like my, my auric field in some ways has really expanded, but also gotten really, really, really tight and focused at the same time. Something I always say to my husband is that I've gone from being a public library to a fucking fortress. <laughs> and I feel that, you know, I feel that and I feel really protected and really clear. And I feel um, in such deep alignment with my Dharma that it's also help, helped me to just be in alignment with what is and that the world is what it is. And so what do we want to co-create here? What paradigm do we want to see? And what responsibility do each of us feel um, to participate in that? And that's why you're revolutionary. <laughs> there you have it. But Yeah, and it, it's crazy, the whole idea of revolutionary, you know, or, or radical. And, you know, I always say this, but radical just means back to roots. And it just blows my mind that, you know, it's considered radical or revolutionary that I'm simply, uh, you know, saying women deserve safety and autonomy, okay. you know, women, you know, shouldn't be bought and sold, you know, it's, just. It's all about how you manage yourself too in that because mm -hmm. the, there's, you know, it's like a combination of a lot of things and um, you're definitely like a great teacher just by being who you are. Um, and I look forward to, you know, what, what you bring to the world for ever. And I, and I want you to stay protected as you are in your fortress. You recently you had um, a retreat. Was it mother loving retreat? Is that what yeah, that it? was the name of that year's. I think we'll probably cha keep changing it. Um, but yeah, we just, we just held a, a beautiful, Oh, such an amazing retreat in Dominican Republic. And I, co-facilitated it with a friend of mine named Katya who lives on the island. Um, she's from Canada, but, but has lived there for 10 plus years. And um, it was really an extension of everything I was sharing about the network I created. I wanted to create a space, a retreat that was mother centered, which we don't really see in retreats and trainings and, um, you know, at least for me, I, I do not really see yeah. retreats targeting, you know, and creating, yeah, like a really centered focus on mothers. Um, and so that was important to me because that's literally everything that I think about and do. But I also wanted the focus to be not actually about motherhood, but I wanted it to be about womanhood, um, but really inviting mothers to kind of remember that they are they are all of it. You know, mother is just one of the archetypes they're walking in, but they're, they're woman too. And so um, as we all know, as mothers, that can be kind of easy to lose connection with. And so that paired with living in patriarchy in these, um, you know, in these structures where we're so isolated as women from each other and we don't, you know, most of us don't live in villages anymore. I kind of made a tally of the things that I wanted to see that felt uh, like the tenets of womanhood that have been largely stolen from us. So for example, um, song, you know, song. That was something that I thought so much about in preparation for this, for this week of that women sing. 
and women need to sing. And even furthermore, we need to sing together and that that's not really something that we do. I mean, maybe someone listening to this goes, oh, I do. And that would be so beautiful to hear. But in, I've been in a lot of women's circles. I've been in a lot of women's spaces and song is not necessarily a integrated part of how we hang out. Um, touch you know, that, that for most women that I know and see, we don't really touch each other. I mean, we hug, of course, but it would be almost weird to lay in someone's lap and be stroked, you know, on your face or something. And yet I think for the vast majority of us, we would also admit that we crave that and we crave relationships that are that safe and loving. Um, and so just sitting in circle, you know, sharing, holding counsel, we did a, a really, really powerful uh, menarche reclamation ceremony where the women who wanted to rewrite their story of of their first blood um, were invited into the ceremony to be uh, reinitiated in the way that um, we want to see. And that was, oh my God, it was so beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever participated in. Um, yeah. So it was just, we just kind of took a tally of all the things that we want to reweave into our our sense of woman. And then we spent seven days doing it. It was so beautiful. And, and I've, I've produced and led quite a few retreats before. Um, but nothing quite like this, nothing that was held in this focus and also not one since I've started free birth society. So that was, that was an interesting new layer because previously it was more like my LA community. Um, and so this was women all over the world and, and, it was really quite beautiful. So I look forward to this, this upcoming a year from now we'll be in Bali and Indonesia and it'll be really fun to see who gets the call to come. Um, yeah, really sacred space and, and just so, so important. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I'm like, I want to reclaim my men. Yeah. Like that you do. <laughs> yeah. Come to uh, Bali. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Like this is the beginning. Is how I see it. Oh, totally. So, which is exciting to me. Um, and I'm glad I found Free Birth Society in you. Um, there was another thing I wanted to mention. Uh, is it a birth, like a program, a birth keep? Oof, Our school? Yes. Yeah. So my partner, Yolanda Norris Clark, and I are coming out with. Uh, we're about to release our school, which is the Radical Birthkeeping School. So it's it's pretty incredible. It's like the culmination of both of our lives' work to um, offer this combination of of her experience and mine because we're an interesting pair because she has always been a birth attendant outside the system. And I have largely been a birth attendant inside the system. So our I have a deep understanding of the system from the inside and she does from a critical analysis um, angle, but then she has seen way, 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 way more normal birth than I have because I've only started attending in that capacity in the last couple of years. Um, anyway, so yeah, we created this really beautiful program. There's two different ways to, to digest it. You can do a 12-week online school at, or you can come to our 10-day school um, that's in Colorado later this year. And so we're releasing enrollment to the public next month in March. I don't know when this podcast will be out, but in March. And um, yeah, I, the, you, can, you can read everything about it on the website, but it's, it's really a big deal for us and 
just so honored that we're positioned in the way that we are, that this will be able to get out to, you know, any woman out there who has the call in them to serve women and, and not be beholden to the systems that oppress us and keep us separated from each other. So, you know, we don't, we don't call it authentic midwifery because midwifery is, is, you know, the word's pretty dead. It's pretty taken over by the medical model. And now midwife is synonymous with a medical provider. So we've moved on from that world and, and word, and we don't really relate to it anymore. So radical birth keeping is learning how to walk with women in integrity. It's learning how to uh, walk with women in birth work where the woman herself who's pregnant is actually the authority and she is actually centered, which is a deep unlearning for any birth workers who are currently doulas or midwives because um, that's not how it's taught. And so it's really this, this concept of learning how to be an authority in birth and not an authority over the woman. Right? Yeah. So that's that's kind of the the fundamental mm. like undertone of the entire school. It's a lot of information, it's a lot of videos, it's a lot of classroom. Um and there's a whole component of self-mastery. So working with a lot of the tools that I've mentioned on this episode, um, really learning how to get yourself clear and strong so that you can serve in that capacity where you're showing up in your wise woman persona with a deep understanding of birth and yet still grounded enough in, in your shamanic, you know, energetic field that you can hold and weave the fabric of this birth without taking any authority away from the woman herself. So I'm very excited to, to be able to offer this to the women who are, are ready to learn this. There is obviously a huge focus on attending birth, but also we talk about how to have a virtual birth business, how to do coaching, how to do birth debriefs, how to hold circle, um, how to hold village prenatal. So kind of all the branches of the tree of what it could mean to walk with women we really cover. So yeah. All of that sounds amazing. I'm, I'm just excited that I was able to share you essentially um in this way thanks again for coming on and um it's pretty easy to find you what is it freebirthsociety.com yeah so the website's freebirthsociety.com and that's also my instagram handle um and then our courses which is where you're gonna find the radical birth keeper school is freebirthsocietycourses.com which you can get to from our website but if you want to go directly there to sign up to be kept in the loop about the school that's coming out um, this spring. Classes start June 1st, but you can learn all about that on freebirthsocietycourses.com. And then the podcast we've mentioned is the Free Birth Society podcast, which you can also find on the website or you can look for it under, under the podcast app for iTunes. Um, yeah. And if you want to join the space that we talked about, you can apply also on our website under private membership. Um, and you can find everything we do there, the coaching and the courses. And um, we don't have the info released yet for the upcoming retreat that I mentioned. But the best thing to do would just be to join our mailing list, which you do on our website, freebirthsociety.com, and you will receive notification when we're open for that. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me on. That concludes the episode. Um, I am recording this conclusion portion of the podcast three months almost well maybe like two and a half months after 
doing that interview with her. Um, because, as you know, the world has been flipped upside down with the pandemic situation. And just to keep this short, since this was a pretty long episode, I'll just say I feel like some of the content of like what we discussed here, or what she really kind of explained, is relevant now as more issues are cropping up because of everything that are really a lot of people now that maybe otherwise wouldn't have felt called to kind of speak up or stand up in any kind of way and maybe are being called to do that now more than they ever had been. So some of the courage and wisdom that Emily shares with her own experience in her specific work um, is relatable, right? That's how I feel at least. Um, Okay. Thank you so much. And by the way, if you are interested in doing the birth, uh, radical birthkeeping school training that she mentioned, um, get the link from me to do it because that will give a kickback for me. <laughs> I mean, just to be honest, if you're genuinely interested, then follow the link that I'm putting in this podcast or just message me and I'll give you a link to sign up for that. Um, uh, what else? I think that's it. Uh, come join us on Free Birth Society. Okay, bye.